Hey there DC fans, this is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News, here to give you a special deal from Insight Editions. Insight Editions is an amazing company who uh, sells books and collectibles uh, from all sorts of pop culture, whether it be DC Comics, Marvel Comics, uh, movies like Die Hard, Harry Potter, Alien, everything out there in the world you can you can find you got books collectibles uh pop-up greeting cards they have all kinds of amazing items and right now you can get 35 percent off site-wide by using the code dcnews35 that's dcnews35 dcnews35 use that code and receive 35 percent off site-wide at insighteditions.com viewer discretion is advised as this show is not for the faint of heart or sensitive ears we ask our younger viewers to check out some of dc comics news's other great content there's plenty for you guys to see and read just not here it's nothing personal we'll explain when you're older now let's begin Two, one. Hello and welcome to yet another amazing, somewhat dangerous episode of Mad Love, i.e. our Harley Quinn podcast about the show Harley Quinn right here on DC Comics News Podcast Network. Disclaimer, if you are not old enough to watch the show or old enough to be listening to material and conversations about the show Harley Quinn. And if you are not old enough, you know who you are. This is the moment when we're going to ask you to please respect our desire to make sure that this is strictly an adult conversation designed only for adults and ask you to go ahead and enjoy any of our other quality material out there. Because from here on out, this will be an adult conversation and we'd like you to be the right age when you do listen to it. All right, with that disclaimer out of the way, <laughs> hello and welcome to uh, episode number 21 of uh, Mad Love. We're going to be talking about season two, episode number eight. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. And thankfully, it's not just me. There are much more qualified and potentially more dangerous people joining me on this podcast. I'm going to start off with Kelly Gaines. Kelly, how are you doing today? Doing good, Seth. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm curious to see which of you or Brad will be the more dangerous today. I'm curious <laughs> to see how that stocks up. Brad, how you doing, today, Mr. Brad Flicky? I am doing good, and I just want to say that heroes do do that. Thank you, man. Right? <laughs> hey, you know, like I said, love your lover like you would love yourself, right? Like, or the way you want to be loved, you know? So, it, it, it's uh, official. Yeah. And I'm going to stand by my statement from the, the other episode, you know, heroes do step up and they step up for exactly that reason. So um, <laughs> I can say this much. I wouldn't have the wife I have if I didn't know how to step up. Let's put it that way. OK. And this is the podcast See. for that. So, folks. See, folks, this is why you tune into the uh, the uncensored podcast. <laughs> exactly. I mean, hey, let's be honest. <laughs> That is something that when we get to season three, I'm going to be saying to myself, see, <laughs> this is where that scene would have been perfect. You guys just went ahead and fucked it all up. All right. All right. 
we're going to get back to that. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to Twitter and look up Batman, potentially the word downtown, and go from there. I mean, have, have your fun. And uh, <laughs> enjoy the rest of the frenzy that has overtaken the internets. And uh, <laughs> we, on the other hand, have loved every episode of Mad Love and everything about Harley Quinn, which is why season two, episode eight is really interesting. It, it deals exactly with all those things that we love about her. And suddenly she's willing to change all of that, go in a drastically darker direction simply because, well, she decided to kiss Poison Ivy at the end of last episode. What are the ramifications? Well, we start out in the mall where there's conversation going on and prior to that a conversation that happens between gordon and the president and it has to do with the terms of gotham getting back into the united states from which it was let's say excommunicated that sound like (laughs) and after being cut off there are terms to gotham getting back in there and those terms have been laid out to gordon who has no problem taking them on The target of those terms, why the only menace left in Gotham, our very own Miss Harley Quinn. Guys, what did you think about this opening premise? Uh, Kelly, I'm going to start off with you. You know, not only is there the challenge of what happened on the uh, way out of the pit, but uh, (laughs) now the fact that you're literally public enemy number one. Uh, I see I, I, you guys know I love Jim Gordon. Like, I feel so bad for him, and he's tried so hard. And, like, this is just a perfect example of a story that puts you on the side of both sides. I, I want Harley to win, obviously, and I want Harley to, you know, sort through. She's, she's got a lot going on that kiss kind of threw her because she's clearly in love, if no one else has noticed that. I mean, she is very much into Ivy. Um, and yeah, I, like, I, I don't know who I want to win in this fight, because on one hand, I'm like, oh, Jim, you've come so far, even though Harley did most of the work. And I mean, it's kind of dick of the president to be like, Harley Quinn has to go, because Harley Quinn is is really, I mean, she may have started a lot of this, but she ended it. And that counts for a lot to me. I don't know. What do you think, Brian? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that Harley kind of got a bad rap with that whole thing. Um, but I guess, you know, she but, you know, she did start it. And oh, man, I, I was torn, too, because you got to this this version of Jim Gordon, you kind of you got to root for him. Um, now, <laughs> see, I, I am definitely by no means a sport guy at all. But when you grow up in the Cleveland area like I did you really learn to root for the underdogs. And I still, oh man, come on, Jim. Uh, Jim, Jim, Jim. Have a little bit of victory, at least something that you can put in that W column. So yeah, I, I, I was torn a bit. It was almost, you know, no matter who wins, we lose kind of situation in a way. Um, but I, I think at the end, I just kind of wanted Gotham to be back in, the USA. So I think that I'm going to give this one to Jim. What about you, Seth? It it clearly puts us in a series of dilemmas. One, um, poor Gordo, who apparently is happy to be called Gordo by the president. I've never actually known anyone named (laughs) Gordon who's comfortable with that. 
they usually accept it grudgingly. Maybe it's because they got too many, you know, harassments from their friends who are like, we're going to call you Gordo otherwise. And if you complain, we'll beat you up. And, you know, it's just, I, I, I saw it played out, man. I saw it happen. Gordo was never a popular nickname. <laughs> so, you know, here's Jim. And, and you also know that there's an extent of this, which is coming from his newest sobriety, you know, this, this, upward swing he's taken he's gotten to his low which we've seen gets really low i mean basically when you're rooming with your daughter and you're oh the dogs are rolling around okay fiji thank you for chiming in yep yep let me know um <laughs> i don't know if you can hear that little but that's her like being happy that's her rolling around on her back like this is really good so even she gets it like we're all really excited for the fact that you know he's turned this leaf he's, he's ready to take an upward swing he's moving in that direction. The dogs are excited. Everyone's feeling good about this. And and then you realize that in the midst of that upward swing, he wants to just do right by Gotham and everyone else. And in order to do that, he has to take down our favorite character, the, the star of our show that we love so much. And not only is it a dilemma, but there's a dilemma that's created for Barbara, who uh, has really grown fond of Harley and believes she's got all these great things that she can offer up as far as you know anti-hero maybe into a hero but definitely not a villain and yet her desire to reach out to harley and offer a little bit of a warning about what old dear dad is getting into well that's not exactly met with the response that we're looking for of course it should be pointed out that this is a harley who is now letting everyone know that she's uh impetuous and prone to randomly kissing anybody which she attempts to prove throughout the episode, but we get a hint of it here. Kelly, I'm starting off with you. What did you think about, you know, Barbara showing up and, and what's been happening at the mall at this time? And, you know, uh, kind of a huge set of things going on in response. It seemed like Domino's fault. I mean, first of all, I th- there's that conversation between Ivy and Harley where Ivy's kind of like, yeah, that was a crazy kiss. Like, let's just leave that alone. Whatever. Friendship not ruined. And Harley's like, yeah, just random. Would never, never wanted to to do that. And and I have so much going on. So many. Th- and she clearly has nothing going on. Like this poor girl. It's just I, I, I don't know. I, Ivy's smart. I don't know how Ivy doesn't see it. Or she's just in sheer denial, which is fair. Because, I mean, you know, as we see later, Kite Man's kind of like, the excited bridezilla at this point. But I I mean that that whole exchange with Barbara coming in just just as Harley's decided, I'm gonna convince everybody that I am impetuous and I kiss everybody and I'm about to do some crazy evil villain stuff. And uh, you know, and then that would that would be the time that Batgirl shows up and says, guess what? My dad's coming to take you down, which obviously sets Harley on this entire crazy scheme but i think honestly for me this scene is all about how freaking positive king shark is like king shark is the friend that i need he is so nice to everybody he he's complimenting batgirl stitch work he's you know actually pointing out like you know you've been weird since you got back from the hole what happened in the pit like what what's like he, he he's just a good friend i love king shark what do you think brad yeah, he's he's hard not to love. <laughs> I mean, like, I think the more like on the second viewing, third viewing, uh, I, I like the character more and more. He is becoming my favorite character on the show, I think. <laughs> and I do think that um, 
uh, poison ivy is definitely going through some major, major denial. And I think that's why she kind of goes out of her way in this episode to try to put herself or make herself believe that this is what she wants and that it's the right thing to do is to marry Kite Man. But I think she's in serious denial as well. And I just this episode, I uh, feel bad for uh, for Barbara. She is like the moral center and if only people would have listened to her but then they kind of listen to her and they don't do what she says and they misinterpret it you know if, between I, I don't know who wins barbara saying that's not what i meant or harley kissing people i don't know what was happened more often in this episode but i, I think that that both <laughs> they both said a lot about this particular episode so um yeah poor barbara <laughs> what about you seth well, I love that you both pointed out what, what a good friend King Shark would be for all of us. I mean, I think what I love immediately is he is unabashed about sharing what he feels is a very clear insight to someone's psychoses, uh, <laughs> whether it's one or many, or or also just, you know, he's very intuitive. He, uh, he seems very introspective, and he's not afraid to just speak like so confidently in a way while also sounding so uh self-conscious <laughs> that i think he's he's a lot of fun because when he gets going you just sort of find yourself going okay um you're being really sweet and nice and you're a giant shark and i don't know how to respond to that and it could be aggressive it could be <laughs> a concern that you're going to bite me because i know how you are when you see blood because you know we we've seen those episodes you know we didn't just meet um, but also how, yes, as you pointed out, Ivy is clearly conflicted. And I mean, I think what's great about this is, as we pointed out about the show, how it delves into the challenges of real emotions and the idea of like, man, you know what it's like when you really feel strongly about somebody? Like, they're the one and all these things are getting in the way. But at the same time, you're like, it's it's worth it. It's a terrifying thing to actually like, make the big step you know what i mean because if it doesn't happen like you know there's there's a lot of feelings that go with it but one of the most common is will i ever find anyone as amazing as this person or will i ever get the chance to feel a, a feeling as close to love like this and you know ivy could take that risk with harley who's also wildly unpredictable and could break her heart at any moment which is something to worry about but she's also got kite men on the side you know what I mean? Like, this guy isn't going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's got the best thing he's ever going to get, and he knows it. So, yeah, the conflict is there. The denial is clearly occurring. And this sets off Harley because it's this mix of emotions that when Barbara says, well, I think my dad's, like, raising an army against you, she's like, oh, let me show you how fucking badass I am. You want to see crazy, badass Harley? I am queen bitch i am the baddest motherfucker like you know i, I came to get down and <laughs> what we discover is that it would appear that our uh well dr psycho has a way in right he's 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 got a method for which things can occur but I feel like he's holding a couple of cards and not letting Harley in on everything that she's going to have to do in order to make this happen. What did you guys think about this uh, development sort of in response to Harley's desire to, to get going? Oh, and Dr. Psycho sort of 
many faceted sexual responses to her excitement <laughs> over killing many people. Kelly, I'd turn it over to you. I, the, I mean, it fits his character so well, but it's like the most off-putting thing when they're they're like, oh yeah, new plan. And he's like, I am rock hard. It's it's just, it's like, wow, really? You you felt the need to announce that to your friends. That is, but I, I mean, it, it fits his character so well because he's just exactly that kind of asshole. And it, it does kind of tell you that this is what he was maybe in it for the whole time, in a way, that he he wants some kind of big, crazy world domination scheme. But yeah, he doesn't give Harley all the information. Like, they go to see Mr. Miracle, and he, ha- he hasn't told her why they're there. He hasn't told her what she's going to have to do. It's all just like, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, so let's go to this place. And then he gives her the next bit of information. And it's like he he's willingly leading her down a rabbit hole. Because, but I, I also want to know... If he knew where he could go to get an army, why didn't he ever do that for himself? I, I think he's just he's riding the coattails here a little bit. And <laughs> I mean, apparently he's doing that with a boner. So what do you think, Brad? <laughs> yeah, see, that's, that's, inter- that's interesting. Why didn't he get the army by himself? Um, and maybe that is you know because of all the, the whole crew he he's the least likable and maybe that's just making him just slightly more likable that he's trying to stay with the crew and he's trying to still include them in world domination and not be completely out for himself so maybe that was the last bit of positivity in the character I, um oh yeah and poor mr miracle but uh yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll get to that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and yeah, as far as the boner goes, that's that was not surprising. And I and I and I think you're absolutely right, Kelly, that it totally fits with the character uh, perfectly. And that's another you know sign of just how good the writing is on the show because it was just a quick little line that just fits so well and you're like oh yeah yep yeah that makes sense (laughs) what about you Seth yeah I I love the fact that the exchange between Harley and Psycho was increasingly freaking out Clayface and King Shark who are you know aside from Bane among the most lovable characters on the show and we you know (laughs) we love the ways that they sort of go to great lengths to be the reasonable people and you look at them and you're thinking to yourself, like, how are these the reasonable people? Oh, right. That's right. Gotham. I get it. I get it. Uh, <laughs> but I love that the there's the increasing ways in which it's suggested that the um, concern that's growing for them and their concern for Harley that continues to grow is displayed in these lovely little just, you know, one offs where you just got to chuckle because that's also in character. And Psycho, yeah, he actually does. A little bit later, revealed the reason why he had been uh, not completely truthful about what it was going to take. So, yeah, he starts leading with the breadcrumbs, which, Kelly, you pointed out, brings us to the uh, Mr. Miracle performance. And then we get a bit of exposition. And through that, we get a, a closer understanding to what's going on. We don't get the whole story yet. But what did you guys think about the fact that, yeah, Mr. Miracle 
um, he's just trying to make a buck. Like his job is to escape from things. And while he's in the midst of performing an act, that's when uh, Psycho decides to describe what they're going to do. Harley calls an audible because Brad, you brought up sports and now that's just how it's going to go. And then we get a chance to see uh, where it is this plan of Psycho's is taking them. Kelly, what do you think? I loved the way Harley handled that whole situation because, I, I mean, you know, Psycho's plan, it's, oh, well, he has a mother box. We're going to take that, go to Apocalypse, ugh, Apocalypse, get an army, and use that army to fight Jim Gordon, which nobody points out is definitely overkill. Like, there's no way what Jim Gordon <laughs> puts together is going to be. I, I just love that they're they're sorting out the details for how they're going to get the box, how they're going to get there, what they're going to do. And, and, and Harley, in the background, we just see Harley, like, sneaking across the screen with a bat in her hand to, to fuck up Mr. Miracle. I mean, poor, poor Scott. He's just, he's just trying to do his job, man. What do you think, Brent? I kind of wonder if Jack Kirby could see <laughs> what some interpretations <laughs> of his characters, how he would react in that moment of when he was swinging, when they go into the boob tube and everybody's gone and his body is just kind of swinging. I just, oh, man. <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I did like Harley just getting, getting shit done basically uh not even listening to psycho just going and grabbing it and um yeah i just i'm kind of leaning more you know here we see a little more of a despicable side of psycho as well so oh man but uh what about you seth yeah, for me, there were a couple of things that really caught my attention. One, the elaborate, you know, development of this plan that Psycho has been clearly hatching and just kind of keeping in his back pocket, always prepared to unleash it when the opportunity arises. But then how there were a few details that seemed like they were, again, highlighting how far over the edge Harley is going. For example, avoiding the plan and just going batshit crazy with the bat which is pretty much, I guess, what you do if you're batshit crazy with a bat. Um, and, and at least one of those uh, swings appeared to be, you know, right at Mr. Miracle's face. But then after she holds up the mother box, she goes, huh, it was in his dressing room. To which I pause and go, so why did you have to kick the shit out of everybody if you already got it from his dressing room? Which to me was like, oh, because she's batshit crazy. And that's what love does, especially unrequited love. Um, and, and that just sort of like <laughs> that epitomized a really interesting thing for me. Cause it was like, okay, she's just becoming more and more violent, more and more reckless, more and more, um, trying to prove that point. Like, uh, I've heard some great examples when people are saying that it occurs in something and, and they're trying to authenticate in some way. And she's really trying to prove like, see, I've been this badass all along. The rest of you guys just been getting in my way, but we've got the boom too. And there's an opportunity to port along to Apocalypse. And a- as Psycho points out, rather sort of like offhandedly, like, oh, yeah, all we have to do is show up, pledge fealty, and then we get an army. And you're like, I still feel like you're holding something back. But before we arrive at Apocalypse and, and talk about what it is that's uh, about to occur there and what we witness, it should be pointed out that the unrequited love 
Harley Quinn is not on this adventure. Very specific reason behind this, because she's meeting Kite Man's parents at their favorite restaurant, and she didn't make the reservation, which she said she was going to do until <clears throat> something came up and she got distracted. So, what did you guys think about this uh, premise? As uh, you know, we have a couple of quandaries going on right as. They're about to meet the rents, and uh, you guys have been in this situation before. Do you really want to be the one responsible for blowing the reservation right before you meet your significant other's parents, or is that actually like your favorite card to play, and then you can see whether or not they're actually cool? Kelly, you? I, Scott, I would never want to be in that situation. That's so, it's so uncomfortable. I don't, and and especially that it's the first time she's meeting them. But I, I also this specific scene kind of made me start to feel bad for Kite Man because I know that I'm rooting for Ivy and Harley and I know that I like Kite Man but he's so excited about his wedding I mean he's turned into a little kitey bridezilla and it's it's adorable <laughs> and his parents suck and and it just it's like what does this man have left minus you know his parents are terrible and his, well we'll get to the wedding but you know, if Ivy ditches him, he's really got nothing. And I feel so bad for him. And I also, like, I mean, Jessica Walters voices his mom, and I love her. But, yeah, I don't know. His parents suck. They would not be the in-laws that I would want to, you know, in, in-law. Uh, Brad, what do you think? I, I love how Ivy describes them, like a country club fucked a yacht club. <laughs> <laughs> That I think was my favorite line from the Pure brilliant. from the uh, from the episode. But yeah, I mean the the parents suck, and this is what's so great about this show is that you don't root just for Harley in this in, in, in the whole Ivy Harley relationship thing. You do have a genuine um, fondness for Kite Man. You want to see him succeed too because. It's obvious that his love comes from a very genuine place, and it, obviously he has a lot of issues. And now meeting his parents, you can see where some of those issues come from. But there is, you know, I, I there was at this point, you know, I I would have been as a viewer, fan of the show, whatever, okay with him with Ivy ending up with either one of them. However, the writers wanted to, to plan that out. So. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I, my heart went out to Kite Man in this, and to Ivy too, because yeah, I would not want to be in that position uh, of meeting, meeting the rents uh, with a screwed up reservation. So, yeah, awkward all around. What about you, Seth? I would have. It depends on what point of my life, because when I was in my early 20s, I was kind of a cocky bastard. And this would have been one of those moments where I just tried to, like, you know, like give my best swagger and try and pull something out of my ass. By comparison, Ivy handles the situation with equal panache by uh, <laughs> pointing out a booth that she believes is already done and then using her powers to make it available and demonstrate to the parents that she's a take charge person. And I thought that was pretty good way to nip things in the bud a bit and win them over but then it, it quickly becomes apparent that the uh, parents don't show uh, Charles Chuck depending on what your affinity is or how close you feel to the character and they make us feel close to 
kite man. Uh, I mean, Tom King taught me how to pity him and, and have like this hopeful feeling for him uh, at the stage of those stories that he was telling. But in this one, because of this origin with his parents, yeah, you're so quickly aware of what it's like to know anyone whose parents simply don't approve, feel that their child has never lived up to their expectations. And you're like, oh, my God, can't you just love your kid like a parent's supposed to? Like, how does that not uh, <laughs> work? And the grudge appears to be something that they believe that Ivy can solve because it turns out dear old mom and, well, good old pop actually are powered individuals themselves. And Kite Man is not much to their disappointment, but if he gets together with a powered individual who can provide them with powered grandkids, well, it, it looks like he might actually, um, as I've heard some people refer to gentlemen in this way, <clears throat> serve a purpose. So with that in mind, uh, <laughs> as we learn more and more about the parents and who they are, um, do we hate them more and more? I mean, does it sort of like equal out to the amount of pity and, you know, concern we have for Kite Man, who the writers do a great job of showing us is this guy who just wants to get approval from his parents, which, come on, isn't everybody looking for that to some degree or extent? But his parents are such complete dickheads that, man, uh, you really find yourself witnessing this through Ivy's eyes. And I thought it was a really impressive sort of like setup for all the things we learn about and also um, how it is that she's their solution, which is also kind of a creepy way to be viewed at by the in-laws, I think. I don't know. Kelly, I've been ran for a minute, passing the baton. What do you think? Uh, his parents are awful. They're just uh, like, what? In, I mean, you're absolutely right. Why can't they just be proud of their kid? And on top of that, the whole like, well, we wanted a super powered kid. Well, you're the ones who made him. If he didn't get superpowers, that is on your genes, not on him. Uh, but Love it. yeah, I mean, it's like, <laughs> but it's fucked up for them to be like, well, our son's a failure, but you're not a failure. So maybe if you guys have kids, our kids have a 50% chance of being loved by us. Like, that's just, they're awful. And they, they, I, I don't know. I, if I were, if I were Ivy, I'd be like, not, not so into, you know, fulfilling my role as their, you know, super powered human baby breeder. And at the same time, it's like, so you're super powered, but what have they done with it? Are they superheroes? Are they villains? It doesn't seem like it. So they're just super powered people who did nothing with it, but expected their son to do it. Fuck them, honestly. Brad, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that, that the fact that they just wanted Ivy for the potential of super powered grandkids makes them even that much worse yeah fuck them terrible terrible people so uh i yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't blame kite man and ivy just walking out um <laughs> but yeah they're just absolutely awful and that makes them it, it, it that just made them so much worse in my eyes what about you so as far as i'm concerned if you've got superpowers and you're not a super villain or a superhero and you're just kind of a rich loser. Well, you're just a rich super loser or a super rich loser. I don't know which. Go ahead and pick your your parcel on that <laughs> one. But uh, that's my like seriously. So you're you're a rich asshole with powers. Great. Um, uh, 
go ahead and just raise your hand when you can tell me somebody gives a shit about you. Cause right now I don't think anyone really does. Like they either want your powers or they want your money or they just want you dead. Cause really you just kind of sound like waste of space or, you know, all that other fun stuff. So yeah, the parents were complete assholes. Like they're the person that drinking me would have loved to have just gotten shit faced around and been like, Oh yeah. So, uh, you guys ever get kinky with that stuff? Like, What's the dirtiest <laughs> stuff you ever did with those powers? Because clearly that's about the most you've actually ever done with. It. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'd probably just sort of be like crude and embarrassing <laughs> to the point that they would be like, I'm uncomfortable. And I'm like, great. Now, you know, the rest of humanity feels around you. Like it would it would get that. I would I would do that. Yeah. Um, me now different. Ivy, on the other hand, takes takes a, a full stock of this. You know, the fact that she's cool. But he can't even say his catchphrase, hell yeah, because <clears throat> language, which I definitely felt was kind of a rip from Captain America, Age of Ultron. But that's me. Um, otherwise, uh, <laughs> Ivy's response to the problem is absolutely perfect. And textbook Ivy, like she re she assesses what's going on. She stands up for the person she loves. And then she proceeds to walk him outside. And despite his desire to think that things are about to get <clears throat> frisky in public, uh, that actually she wants to know why he puts up with it. And then she proceeds to defend him in a very classy way. Kelly, what would you think about the way, you know, essentially Ivy does a great job of, you know, taking care of the Reds and calling them on their bullshit? good for her that's and and that's tense for you know a first meeting of the parents you start out with a, a reservation that you don't have you toss some people out of a booth using a tree and then you walk out and and curse them out in front of the restaurant and I mean to me it's it fit the situation because there was no way that that entire like like sometimes I feel like people jump the gun a little bit and they get all angry and in someone else's face when it's like, oh, you, maybe there was a way to, there was no way to salvage that conversation. There was no there was no taking the asshole out of his parents. So, yeah, I mean, that it, it had to be done. But but I, I just love the way that Ivy's kind of she's it, where Harley would jump into a conversation and yell at someone and kind of have. I don't know. She like uh, Harley's the type who would yell at someone like some ridiculous insult that makes no sense. Ivy's still yelling at them, but she's just dropping truth bomb after truth bomb. And it's like, well, what what is there to say at that point? I think she handled it well. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, she did. And I think how she reacted, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that she's in denial. And I think part of that denial comes from i think there is a a genuine love for kite man it's so i think that that denial is also a little bit of dealing with her being conflicted about her feelings for ivy as well and if she didn't love him she wouldn't have told his parents to fuck off so uh i uh i think as far as the tone of the episode and the themes of the episode, I think this fits in perfectly with her telling them to fuck off and good for her. I'm glad she did. What about you, Seth? I think the only thing that, that kind of fit perfectly for me uh, in, in addition to heart or to Ivy doing that is then kite man turning around and saying, so see at the wedding, 
And then he starts making out with his baby. <laughs> like this poor guy can't help but still try to be nice to his parents, even when they've been trash, and even when his you know fiance has been like, yeah, and now go fuck yourself. Like <laughs> he's still like, but I'll see you at the wedding. Bye, mom. Bye, dad. Love you. <laughs> like he's that's how good of a guy he is, and and that's the big problem. You know, like I, Ivy can't help but love this guy, as she points out clearly later. Um, and, and it's one of those things where, of course, you can't help but like the guy. Look how much he just wants to, you know what I mean? Make people happy, like be someone that they care about. And he'll go to amazing lengths to do it, even, you know, be treated really badly. <laughs> and uh, and it's kind of fun because we get the chance for that, that sense of closure. And then we, we shift gears over to the fact that there's still this other thing that was going on, which I pulled us away from. And now I feel... It's an appropriate time to um, boom tube back on over. And we arrive on Apocalypse at the throne of Darkseid, who has a beloved character from Young Justice uh, caught up in his uh, meaty paw there and proceeds to demonstrate that not only does he know who Harley Quinn is and, and what she seeks, but that uh, he also is aware of the reason why it's her and not Psycho and a little bit more beyond that. But what did you guys uh, think about the fact that now that we're on Apocalypse and we get to see just how, remember, how terrifying Darkseid can be in physical form, kind of close, face-to-face roughly, maybe just towering from his throne. But uh, <laughs> what it's like when you go to him and actually do seek out that art. Kelly, what did you think about this uh, arrival on apocalypse i just figured of course there there's another step that i mean i and perhaps psycho just wouldn't have known but there's always that one extra thing because i mean yeah it's the walk-in and and dark he's he's gonna crush uh, someone's head and that's you know that that's not exactly something if i was arriving on a planet for the first time that wouldn't be the welcome basket that i would want but uh yeah, that, that's about up to par. And I, and then, of course, it turns into, well, you you know, you can have the army, but you need to beat the person who currently is is controlling that army, which, of course, Harley didn't know was was going to happen. And I mean, I, I think we're going to get it to get to it in a minute. So I'll leave that alone. But there is one moment of the, the ensuing battle that just makes me laugh hysterically hard. Uh, Brad, what about you? <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I love that even Darkseid could see that Harley is kind of struggling with some inner parademons, as a great title of the episode seems perfect. And at least to my second favorite line in the episode, when Harley says, what is he, my therapist? <laughs> can you imagine how horrifying it would be? Is Darkseid was your therapist? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I, I think the the head crushing thing is also a kind of good introduction to uh, Darkseid and and just what the situation is that they have gotten themselves into by going to Apocalypse. Uh, what about you, Seth? Yeah, I mean, for starters, Forager is my one of my favorite characters from Young Justice, and seeing him like about to get his head squished and then seeing his head actually squished by Darkseid was kind of painful. I was like, I, I like Forager. He, he's cute. He's funny, and he makes me laugh. And Darkseid just killed him. 
and fuck you. Uh, <laughs> but I remember that this is a show that randomly kills off a lot of characters who don't normally die in comics or in animated movies or other products. So I, I, I get, you know, Harley Quinn's always going to push the buttons and, and I get that. Um, I do love the fact that it's Darkseid, who is yet another person going like, so I feel like this is about something else. <laughs> You're like, dude, can everybody get off me about this and just give me a goddamn army? Can I just get my fucking army, please? Hello? <laughs> Hi. Um, here, trying to avoid a unrequited love situation by killing a bunch of people and going to war with Jim Gordon. Can I just get my fucking army? Um, so I, I, I love that also, you know, there's the introduction to what you have to do and it's at this moment that i noticed that psycho is quick to say when it's pointed out who she has to fight and there's that thunderous boom with the arrival of uh, granny with that power club thing she's wielding in her hand and uh psycho's like yeah uh, i chickened out when i realized i had to fight her like he even admits it right there like up until that moment i was ready to do this army shit and then i realized i had to fight her and fuck that so kelly going back to what you were saying earlier yeah i really do think this was all part of psycho's plan he needed someone who was crazy enough to take on granny right except there's talking about kicking granny's ass and then there's kicking granny's ass and um while i love the fact that king shark has potentially one of my favorite lines in this moment which is i promised that i would never kill an old person uh, that I would allow the American health system to do that. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the fact that that should be confidence inspiring for Harley is actually not enough as she discovers just how much of a badass Granny really is and that sometimes you need a help, a bit of help from even the worst fucking little psychos. Kelly, what did you think about how this all played out as far as the fight, what it took to win, and then... Uh, you know what the winner gets i i mean the first thing for me was she literally breaks her bat over granny goodness's face and the woman doesn't change facial expressions like she doesn't her eyes don't close she doesn't blink she just keeps like kind of that weird creepy smile and i like that just cracks me up every time that she just batted this woman in the face and it's like it does nothing uh and I mean, yeah, it makes sense that, you know, Psycho's like, okay, I will now, you know, telepathically control Harley to make her throw things and do all these cool kicks and flips and jumps. What I want to know is how nobody in that room noticed that that was what was happening, because I feel like it was maybe a little bit obvious, but I don't know. I mean, Darkseid seemed, you know, he seemed like he was going with it, so... Yeah, they they won the army, but then also if psych like couldn't psycho have mind controlled himself to do I don't know maybe I don't I don't know what the logistics are as far as like he because psycho technically won that battle so I I don't know what do you think friend Yeah, see I was wondering the same thing like couldn't he have done that himself like what was his angle using Harley in that play so uh and. At this point, uh, I am still not sure, um, and I don't, you know, and I don't think he'd get something like that past Darkseid. So I think that would be something that he let happen. So why did he just let that happen? But 
you know, she she even says she wakes, you know, after she or Psycho beats Granny Goodness, Harley wakes up and says, oh, what happened? So she didn't even realize what happened. So but yeah, I, I just don't know how Dark Side would have just not noticed. So I I think that he did and I think that he let it happen. What about you, Seth? Yeah, so this reminds me of back when Family Guy first came out. There was this big question of who could understand the baby or not, and, and which characters actually know what he's saying verbatim, or which just get a rough idea of what he's saying. And uh, <laughs> when when it comes to this moment, I'm like, okay, so this is one of the situations where it's like, if we, the viewer, can see Psycho's powers because he literally fucking glows, uh, can everybody see this? Or is this just like an inside to the viewer, but nobody else can see this? Because if they can see the glowy guy, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to point to the glowy guy and then the glowy girl. And then I'm going to say, look, there's a glowy person and another glowy person. I feel like there's connection, um, especially because one hit from Granny and she flew across the room and looked like basically she got her face broken into like, you know, kind of like a Rubik's Cube sort of twist where they don't turn the pieces all the way. But they kind of. Yeah. So and then that same person proceeds to get up and go crazy. Now, what I do get is, is if it's true that we can see it, but nobody else can. Yeah, Darkseid's going to figure out pretty quickly that that person who looked like they were basically like unconscious and or close to death, who suddenly arose from said unconsciousness or death and then beats the shit out of one of his finest uh, generals. He's going to let it play out because if you're that fucking sneaky, you're probably exactly the kind of sneaky he wants. You know what I mean? Like, I think Darkseid likes to win and dirty is his favorite way. It just proves the whole anti-life thing. Um, but I also felt like this was totally up Psycho's alley because A, he gets to actually take on Granny, and B, with no risk, she's expendable. He could give a fuck about Harley. He, you know what I mean? Like, th this is kind of like, this was just his angle to take a shot. And if she dies, he's still got the mother box in his hand. They boom the fuck out. Oops, sorry, I did my best. You know what I mean? I felt like he was willing to do the dance because it wasn't his body taking the beat. <laughs> Like, it's a lot easier to go, uh, we have to fight their champion. Hey, buddy, you, you go fight their champion. Good luck. Like, it's a different story if it's you. Like, suddenly you're like, hold on a second. Can we talk about this? Uh, <laughs> so the, the play was totally up uh, Psycho's alley. Made all the sense in the world. And yeah, if Darkseid knew what was going on, he didn't give a fuck because everything works for him. And who knows? Maybe the wild upstart actually can pull it off. But the transformation to Harley is kind of quick and sudden. We get to see her pop into a uh, very impressive outfit that I recently uh, came across a little tidbit in which in the comics, Harley defeated Granny Goodness and briefly became the Hammer Harley and a Fury, who then proceeded to free the Olympian God. So there's a, a basis for this that uh, steps to, but big outfit change, always a big deal when it comes to comic book characters, new outfit, new powers, right, right? and the command of the army. And I'm pretty sure uh, Psycho has probably had <clears throat> a sexual release or two by this time. Uh, <laughs> because everything's working up exactly the way he wants it to. And now here comes Harley, ready to kick ass with her hammer and an army. And how are you guys feeling at this moment before she uh, set her sights on Gotham and brought down the hammer? Literally, Kelly? Oh, goodness. I mean, the moment before when she's, you know, Harley's about to drop out of the sky and 
Gordon's riding up in his tanks and everything. It's like, is this all, is all this really that necessary? I mean, is I, I know Gordon's trying to prove to the world that he's a worthwhile person and, and prove to America that Gotham is a worthwhile city. And Harley's, you know, got a crush on her best friend. But I feel like they could have handled this over some beers. I don't I don't know that it had to escalate into what it's about to escalate into, because Harley's about to be the worst person she's been during this show, in all honesty. I mean, she's about to do some terrible, terrible things or unleash some terrible nonsense for no good reason. And I mean, I guess that's why she's still a villain. Um, But yeah, it's like, shit, Harley, like that you did not think this through. And I feel like this was not worth it. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, if only they really would have understood what Barbara was trying to say earlier in the episode. This could have probably all been avoided. But, uh, you know, this is dealing with denial and wanting to get your city and your name back into America. That that's pretty powerful stuff, I guess. And, uh, well, sometimes egos and, uh, you know, wants and desires lead to war. And I guess that just really happened here and but kelly you're right it the whole thing could have been avoided and it was all kind of purposeless in a way uh, what about you Seth? oh definitely oh completely um you know but but <laughs> clearly harley's uh, like sense of what she does and doesn't need to do is off kilter when she starts her fight with granny by saying so all I have to do is kill this old woman and I get an army, you know, like, fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> and turning that around and taking that same sorts of fury once she's like one and comes charging down, uh, it's pretty clear between the two amassing armies that, yeah, things could have definitely been handled better. Uh, sadly, they weren't. And what we get is the, uh, the charge of Gordon, who, by the way, makes a very impressive speech from the steps. Did, did anyone else notice his uh, tattoo, which appeared earlier when he was suiting up with all of his guns, but also makes a brief cameo appearance while he's giving his speech? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, no. No, oh, wait, what that. is it? Uh, so if you look, he has a tattoo on his left bicep shoulder that is of uh, Clayface's baby hand. And it's got a never <gasps> forget on there uh, yeah I, I, I no there. way yeah check it out easter egg that, that, and it says like never forget and it's from the year of damn good cop episode remember um when clayface loses his hand and there's that whole exchange between he and gordon yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so cute See, this yeah, is why so, i root for gordon <laughs> exactly and when he's when he's got that tattoo and he's wearing all those guns to which barbara says Seems like a lot of guns. And he's clearly doing exactly what Harley's doing, which is overreacting by saying, or not enough guns. And then proceeds to give his speech and drop one of the guns, which fires. Um, <laughs> and then climbs into a bunch of tanks because that's what you need. Uh, and he meets Harley. But at the moment he meets her, it's just Harley. And maybe he thought just Harley was something he could handle until the boom tube reveals the uh, arrival of not only the parademons, but we also get the uh, connection to Ivy and Kite Man, especially when 
Ivy says, oh, Boomtube. And Kite Man refers to uh, himself in a sexual way. And then <laughs> we realize <laughs> they're going to come join the conflagration. And, well, let's just say it's a messy thing. It gets a little messier before it gets a little neat. So uh, how did you, you know, what was your take on uh, the moment of Harley squaring off against Gordo to uh, the arrival of the demons and, you know, the eventual arrival of Kite Man and Ivy? Kelly? I mean, geez, it's like so many people are dying because Harley is upset about a kiss, basically. That's what this really boils down to, because at the end of the day, when she heard that that Gordon was bre- breaking out the tanks for her, if it was, you know, season one, episode one, Harley, she would have been pumped. It's like, yes, they're bringing out tanks to take on me. And and this time it's like he's bringing out tanks, but I'm bringing a bunch of, you know, interdimensional demons to rip everybody to shreds. And just the, I mean, the, it's the city goes from zero to on fire in seconds. And, and heads are getting thrown and limbs are getting ripped off. And, you know, we, we get to the point where Ivy's asking Harley what she really wants. And, Har- or, and Harley's like, you know, not, not necessarily this. And it's like, well, that sucks for all 500 people that were just ripped in half, doesn't it? It took, it took you to get here to realize, huh, maybe I am overcompensating. And she is. And that's, I mean, Gordon points it out. And when Jim Gordon has some kind of emotional insight to another human being, I feel like that's a good indication that, like, Harley's just being dumb in this episode. I think this was the one episode where I'm like, I don't like you that much right now, Harley. And I think I go right back to liking her in the next episode. But in this one, I was kind of like, dude, like, you just, it's not even just that people are dying. They're dying in horrific ways because you can't get over your feelings. And that's... You know, that's not the type of friend you want to be. What do you think, Fred? Yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point when you say, you know, I didn't like her this episode. But then the next episode, I started liking her again. Because I think that this this episode is a low point for her. And uh, it's that moment after all these people have died senselessly that she re- you know, really realizes it. And I think that that kind of dislike for what Harley has become in this episode is why I was kind of, you know, rooting for Gordon to win. And because I'd like to see Gotham become part of the United States again. (laughs) What about you, Seth? Well, yeah, this was definitely a fight. I wanted Harley to lose. I mean, simply put, she's avoiding. And uh, I can honestly say that I have never done an avoidance tactic while dealing with an unrequited love situation. So I don't know how you handle that, but that's not the way I would handle it, even if that ever happened to me. And if you want to call bullshit at any time (laughs) while I'm talking, go ahead and just say bullshit because I Oh, we would never. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fine. I I will. Because, yeah, damn it. Like you, you do stupid shit, whether you get love or you don't get love or if you're in the process of trying to get love. Like. You know, you're you're willing to take some really asinine risks, at which later you should probably ask yourself, is the person I'm doing this for worth it? And also, is the reasons I'm doing this actually, do they have anything to do with that other person? Or is this really just all about me? And that's what this whole thing has been about for the most part. I mean, for both of them, you know, Gordo's 
he's trying to just like get his life back together. And for that, him means getting Gotham back to the city that's still a part of the United States and also the city he can protect. He can't do that if he doesn't have outside resources and help and can provide them with fresh food and all the things he promises this battle with Harley is going to bring about. And in the same turn, like you said, both said so well. Yeah, Harley is completely unlikable, which uh, most people become when they do stupid stuff. If they can't get the person they're in love with or they lose them or the person they love treats them badly, whatever the reason might be, it's pretty easy afterwards to be like, and now I'm going to do a bunch of stupid shit. I know it's stupid, but I'm still doing it. And it's it's easier to do the stupid stuff and pay for those mistakes than it is to actually deal with the shit that's really bothering you. But when push comes to shove and the person you love comes around and says, so what if I ask you what's really going on? And if this is what you really want, well, we see a decided turn in Harley for what she knows, but as Kelly pointed out too, like we did have to lose a lot of fucking people in order for that to happen. I mean, when Kite Man and Ivy come arriving on the scene, there are a lot of dead bodies who look like they died very painfully in horrible, fucked up, parademon-like ways. Um, and all of that seems like a high cost in order for Harley to figure out that this isn't what she wants. Like, I don't know. Maybe you could have tried anything else besides mass slaughter and a war in Gotham. <laughs> You know, a place that's clearly already been through God knows how many levels of shit and you just decided to add some gasoline and light it on fire. Like, good job. Um, but she does. Harley goes ahead and she makes that final like decision of what it is she's willing to do. And Psycho's not too happy about this. But it does bring us to at least one form of resolution in the story. While it appears there are some pieces that will remain, at least for the moment, unresolved. Kelly, how'd you... How'd you feel about the way this one all wrapped up? Well, I, I mean, on on one hand, it's nice that Harley backs down and it's unfortunate for, you know, however many people died. But I, I think as far as the wrap up, it's nice that she's willing to admit that it seems like this is the first time in the episode where she's admitting to herself like, OK, I get it. I get what I want. I mean, I because I, I think she was just in genuine denial up until that point. But, I, I mean, Dr. Psycho, just the, those are such his true colors. Because he, she, Harley breaks the staff. She's like, all right, I'm done. Parademons go back home. My bad. You know, sorry about your husbands and wives and children. But, you know, my bad. And, and Dr. Psycho's devastated and angry and quits the crew. And to me, it's like, I mean, on one hand, like, good, fuck off. But on the other hand, it's like, dude. You came this far, and for a little bit, he seemed like he was actually starting to give a shit about the rest of the team, and then it becomes immediately evident that it's, no, he doesn't care. He's still the worst person in the show. Somehow he's more despicable than the Joker, which, I mean, well, Joker turned over a new leaf and all that, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. At the end of this episode, I feel like like it's clear that we're going to be seeing Psycho again soon, and that... It, you know, I I mean, he can't, he's not very competent. He can't do things by himself. So hopefully it'll just peter out. But it's very clear that he's going to be their next big issue. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, definitely a turning point for Psycho. Uh, you know, he was, fuck you, I'm out, see you never. So, uh, 
yeah, as I as much as I think the moment of Harley backing down is kind of her starting to climb up and deal with the issues just a little bit so that you can get into that place of liking her in the next episode. This is the beginning of Psycho going to a place where you have no sympathy and uh, no like for the character. That is his uh, true descent where you can't turn back from. What about you, Seth? Yeah, for me, this one was kind of funny because we just dealt with an episode about Harley's unrequited love. And yet we immediately see uh, a similar form of unrequited desire on the part of Psycho, which then sends him spiraling down on his own sort of uh, dangerous trajectory. And I mean, yes, breaking the staff is great. Yeah, it would have been nice if she did that before everybody died. Um, (laughs) It probably would have been helpful, too, if she considered the fact that not everybody from Apocalypse might be okay with you taking an army off and then after defeating Granny Goodness, ditching the whole responsibility thing. That could come back to bite you in the ass. And Psycho most likely will, too, because, I mean, Harley basically gave him the closest chance he ever had to getting what he wanted, and then she took it all away. And that's going to leave a sting. And he's kind of a bitter guy. And he's already proven he's an asshole when he's trying to be part of a group. I I was almost going to say likable, but that's clearly not his concern. Um, (laughs) And yet when he's like so angry at you, what what sort of danger? And it's that old saying, you know, you dance with the devil. The devil doesn't change. Devil changes you. Like there's, you know, if the devil doesn't change you completely, there's still a price for dancing. You know, there's still going to be like you, you play with evil, you, you deal with sort of dirty stuff. You're going to walk away with a little dirt on you and that's going to come back around. We're going to see just what it is with Psycho that we can't expect. But also we see what will be the next distraction for Harley, <laughs> which is when Ivy says, hey, do you do you really, you know, want to talk to me about what's going on? And then there's an interruption by Kite Man, followed by that conversation and Harley realizing that she can now put all of her attention into saying, I just can't wait to see what we're going to do about your bachelorette party. And once again, we have Harley going on another avoidance tangent, which lets us know she clearly isn't going to deal with things or reveal her true feelings or put herself out there and risk what happens when you tell someone you love them and they might reject you, especially when they're supposed to be engaged with somebody else. But also (laughs) how it is that we can have more misadventures. Because one thing I've noticed is when Harley tries to distract herself, she usually fucks up everything for everybody else. So final thoughts on those parts, guys. Kelly? Oh, boy. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I I feel like bachelor and bachelorette parties are always the signal for some crazy shit's about to happen. So considering that Harley is planning one for the person that she's in love with, I mean... How how could it possibly go wrong? Uh, Brad, what do you think? Yeah, man, of all the things that she could have said at that moment, the bachelorette party was probably not the best uh, thing that she could have said, (laughs) because that just makes, oh, that just puts so much more on her plate and makes things so much harder, uh, as we will see. But, oh, yeah, man, she she should have thought of something different to say. (laughs) Uh, What about you, Seth? 
Yeah, this was pretty much one of those things where I thought to myself, okay, this is what you do when you can't deal with your shit. <laughs> you just find other shit to deal with. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I don't want to deal with this. Avoidance, avoidance. Look, something I can invest myself in and not deal with. And <laughs> I, I love the way um, it, it's just that brief moment when, again, as you pointed out, we care so much about Kite Man. And we care about the, you know, the desire on his part to really provide for Ivy. And Harley doesn't even know what that looks like. Like, providing for her is just, like, a, a terribly warped concept based on what we've seen of her family. And, you know, her previous <clears throat> love interest, if we can go ahead and turn the joke of that. And, <laughs> and the toxic relationship and everything else. But here you've got a guy who isn't the perfect fit. But he is a decent guy who loves her with all of his heart and will offer that unconditionally. Harley's not quite there yet and fully aware of that or maybe not fully aware of it, but subconsciously knowing that she's not going to fuck all that up and take the risk of actually being wrong is, yeah, going to turn around and say bachelor party. Sure, because nothing wrong ever happens with that. No, bachelor parties are not the thing that terrified me for the year and a half that I was a bartender. Of course not. No, never. Never. Yes. Always. <laughs> Fucking always. <laughs> nothing worse than, you know, hi, we're doing a scavenger hunt. So, and you're like, oh, wow. Jesus. And I just go ahead and smash this bottle over my own fucking head and then wake up tomorrow <laughs> and everything's fine. Because, you know, pretty much it usually involves something dirty with a bartender or one of the bar staff or a drink or God knows what the fuck. So, you know, you, you just, you, trust me, like the last thing you want to do is deal with the bachelorette party, especially once they're already drunk. And <laughs> granted, what we will be seeing will be far worse than that. However, <laughs> what we also do get to learn is a valuable lesson in what happens when you continue to avoid the thing that you really want and you just can't help but fucking it all up in the process because, well, what can I say? That's just a hint of what's in the story. You're going to want to come back for more. Before we start, you know, talking about what's ahead, quick glance back and a thought as to whether or not you might have, A, a favorite quote or a favorite moment that we didn't get the chance to uh, bring up in our discussion. And uh, any final thoughts you might like to add about this, our episode, Inner, as so Brad so clearly pointed out, a perfectly titled episode, Inner, para demons kelly well you know what my mine's not even a moment it's a member of the cast for this episode who plays both kite man's mom and granny goodness one of my favorite actresses i guess but uh jessica walters she plays archer's mom on archer and she actually died this past year so this is the last i thought we were going to get to see her play you know maybe some other roles in this show but we won't. So it's, you know, this was, this is the last thing I saw her or heard her in. So this episode is up there on my like, aw, episodes. What about you, Brad? Yeah, that is true that uh, I, I was thinking that too. And I was watching it with the Jessica Walter thing, thinking about how she had just passed away. And I, you know, I think that might be her last role. So yeah, that was good to, oh. that, that was good to bring that up. Yeah. That's a shame. Uh, you know, I, I, my oh man, I think that I've mentioned my favorite lines, which ties into my favorite parts of the episode. But 
one thing that we didn't bring up was when Psycho slaps Clayface and his face <laughs> he's smashed up. That was kind of funny <laughs> that we didn't mention. So I'll, I'll, I'll just throw that one out there. <laughs> what about you, Seth? Yeah, let's see. Um, one, th- thanks for bringing up Jessica Walter. I, I feel that the hardest thing about 2020 is how many people we lost in the past year and even into 2021. It, it's just, it's been, <sighs> there was so much chaos and such an influx of information. And in, in between, it seemed like it, we almost got inundated with the passing of so many legendary names. It, it was a bit overwhelming, I think. You know, unless you were tracking them all, it's easy to just sort of like go, oh, that's right. That that happened. And yeah, I love that you guys brought that up. And the fact that, you know, she had also worked on Archer. um, And in this episode played not only Kite Man's mom, but also Granny Goodness, definitely showing some um, range there. And hey, it's one of your last performances. What a way to be remembered. I mean, because she was uh, quite memorable in, uh, in both, <laughs> in both uh, voice moments. Uh, as far as favorite quote, yeah, I, I do love the fact that uh, there were a couple. One is how, Brad, you pointed out, the smacking of Clayface was preceded by the here's where you get your fucking BAFTA. And goes into explaining yeah. how he's going to go through his thing, right? <laughs> right, right and then right. later, um, I, I'm struggling to remember who it is. I feel like it was a dark side line. Yeah, it, it, I, line. it was when dark side smashes the head. He goes, oh, the bath is going to him. <laughs> right, exactly. Now I want to give my bath to you. Your bath yeah. to him. Yeah, that was. <laughs> and then probably my all-time favorite was the one where Clayface, or Shark, I think, says something to Clayface. Like, this is some scary shit. And Clayface is like, yeah. I don't know if you can tell, but I just clay myself, <laughs> 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 which was just another example of those things that Clayface, like he's always doing the stuff that's, I mean, kind of gross since he looks like a giant poo or, you know, something violently similar and probably smelling equally or not very well. Um, <laughs> so the idea of him just like bringing a mental picture to mind of like, you probably can't tell because I look like a piece of shit, but I shit myself, but I like to call mm-hmm. it Quake. And uh, <laughs> there was something lovely about that, like not only that characterization, but also just like a really just beautiful throw in line. If it, if you catch it, you catch it. If you miss it, it just skips like a stone on the water. And uh, <laughs> for me, that was uh, that was a pleasure as was talking about this entire episode with you guys. I am so glad we're uh, you know, coming closer to our season finale. I even heard a rumor yesterday from Mr. Steve J. Ray that if we can make the timing work, he's going to try and pop on for that finale. Hopefully we can get uh, Kendra and the whole on for that one. But we still have a few more episodes before we get to the penultimate and then the ultimate finale. And you know, I also uh, heard from Josh recently that uh, there's going to be a comic book continuation of season two before season three. And if everybody's down, we could pick that up and uh, have a little bit of fun with it. Maybe talk about how this story looks in comic form and what it's setting up for season three. And folks, all I can say is we've got stuff in store. We're almost done with season two. So you're going to you're going to want to stick around. And you've been listening to some amazing people. And should you want to follow up with them, although Remember, we did talk about some inappropriate stuff. So if it's about that, probably just keep it to yourself. But e- either way, should you want to reach out mm-hmm. and they want to respond, Kelly, um, how would you like folks to, you know, say, hey, 
if they want to follow up about anything we talked about here or any other of the amazing things that you're doing for us at DC Comics News. Um, you can find me doing opinion and editorial pieces for DC Comics News. You can find me on Twitter at Kel Gaines Wright. Um, and you can also find me on our regular podcast, the main DC Comics News podcast. Brad, what about you? Uh, yeah, you can find me writing news and reviews on DC Comics News. Uh, you can also find me on the main DC Comics News podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. What about you, Seth? Where can people find you? Uh, just look for me here on the podcast network. I'm either hanging out with these guys on Mad Love, over on the DC Weekly podcast, hosting the Spinner Rack, or just, you know, getting in where I can fit in. So always happy to hang out, always happy to have a great laugh. So come check me out here. And I even write reviews for DC Comics News sometimes. So you can always give those a read if they catch your attention. I want to thank both Kelly and Brad for joining me. So it wasn't just me talking to you about mad love because i would probably start developing a series of inner monologues which would become outer monologues and no one would really understand it and with brad and kelly it's just so much more fun you're nodding your heads in agreement and i'm thankful for that with that <laughs> episode number <laughs> 21 of uh, mad love we were talking about season two episode number eight inner para demons I've been your host, Seth Singleton. You've been talking with me, Kelly Gaines, and Brad Felicki. And there's a little something we like to always remind you to do between now and the next time you're either listening to us or picking up, you know, something else to do. And that is to always read more comics. Oh, I know. <laughs> One.